0: Pushkin.
1: The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity a room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal
0: insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins
1: with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create.
2: I want to... Produce films because I know I'm, at a certain point I'm going to be too old to be out there on the field trying to direct something, so I want to produce. I want to produce, I want to discover other young introverts who are creative and they need someone to help shepherd them along, to quarterback for them, to get them through and past these gatekeepers who are only looking for people to tell stories that they've already told before, these retreaded stories. Because there's a whole generation, there's a whole bunch of us that just like to be surprised, to be confused, and to come out the other side of that confusion, feeling like they've taken a long journey.
0: That was Julie Dash. I'm Sam Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. In 1991, director Julie Dash broke some serious ground with Daughters of the Dust. It was not merely a phenomenal film, but also the first movie directed by a black woman to get a wide theatrical release. Stating that fact out loud seems so bizarre in 2018. And it's not because we've made so much progress in the intervening 27 years, but because we clearly haven't made enough. Daughters of the Dust has since been cemented as a historic moment in cinema history. It's a landmark movie, not only because of its quality, but because of what Dash did to pave the way for future filmmakers of color, for future women filmmakers. And yet, what is not part of the conversation about Julie Dash and Daughters of the Dust is that after this movie came out, the situation for her did not radically change, She didn't get to direct a studio movie, HBO did not offer her a series, Netflix has not given her money to make her next project, in fact, almost no one has. There's a longer rant I could go on here about how women, and especially filmmakers of color, are often given one chance and very quickly discarded after given that chance, but uh, it's also not entirely accurate to Dash's career. Since 1991 and even before that, Dash has been busy making movies for galleries, private exhibitors, and sometimes just herself. When we sat down at Ebertfest last week, Dash and I talked for over an hour about her strange, winding, beautiful career and all the wonderful work she has put out into the world. Those listening can make heads or tails on how honest or uh, candid we get here. But uh, all I can tell you is that at the end of this interview, um, I turned off the microphones, I closed the laptop, and uh, Julie took the headphones off and said, Well, you know too much now. <laughs> and so she begins her sharing with a uh, early memory from her preteen years where her parents are going off to work. It's summertime, and her and her sister are about to rejoice. So, finally, here is Julie Dash.
2: I was glad when we would see them get on the bus and we'd watch them in the summer, watch them walk, get on the bus, <laughs> and yeah, and we'd be out the door. Um, so he
0: gave you freedom.
2: Yes. And then uh, around 5 or 6 o'clock, you know, you're watching when the bus comes. Because, you know, of course, they tell you don't go outside. <laughs> don't go out play with your friends if you do just an hour or so. So, you know, you're watching. the scene and You see them coming and you race upstairs and you go sit in front of like you've been sitting upstairs yeah. all day. Like, can I go out now?
1: That's and great. really.
2: And my sister used to blackmail me. So I would have to wash the dishes for her. Otherwise, she would inform my parents that I had been outside all day. Why
0: was she blackmailing you?
2: Because she didn't go outside. She <laughs> she stayed upstairs and watched television all day. Ah. I was out playing basketball and, you know.
0: Living your life. hmm Well, you two had different lives.
2: And she, um, it's funny, she would be upstairs watching television and painting her nails and doing all the girly, girly things and... um you know, she eventually grew up to be a top fashion model.
0: Oh, well, you know, this <laughs> yeah. all this all sort of panned out in the way it was supposed to.
2: Right. And she's sitting up there listening to Johnny Mathis albums and doing her nails. You don't like the, Johnny Mathis? I do like him, but I didn't like him then because she was listening to him. Really? Yeah. You didn't like Chances Are? I like it now. <laughs> I don't know Just, I like it now but I, I didn't know. like it then i skeptical
0: I feel like you don't like him
2: no I I was um, oppositional you know
0: <laughs> was that music too soft for you at the time
2: well yeah <laughs> it was romantic <laughs> I don't care about any romance I wanted to play basketball
0: I understand what loving basketball
2: yeah that's why I love that film I love Gina's <laughs> film <laughs> you know
0: so she grew up to be um, in fashion, you grew up to make movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 17, 18. you go to Harlem and you enter a, a cinematography program.
2: Yeah, it's at the there was a museum there, an arts museum uh-huh. uh, called the Studio Museum of Harlem, and they had a cinematography workshop uh, two nights a week. Really, not night, you know, like from
1: five
2: early evening, yeah. yeah. And um, I was so surprised that my mother was, like, all for it. She didn't even know what it was, but she would give me, you know, money to take a gypsy cab down the street to go there. They didn't have yellow cabs up in Harlem. They wouldn't come, so there were gypsy cabs, and we would take a gypsy cab. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: I mean, they wouldn't come because they were afraid to come?
2: Yeah. Uh, So, conversely, if you were downtown... And you wanted to take a yellow cab uptown. As soon as you get in them and tell, give them the address, they would say no. No, no, no. But you were lucky if they stopped for you in the first place. Right. That's why I love Uber. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to Today, I'm still resentful about the yellow cabs that wouldn't take us up to Harlem.
0: Yeah. Was it more fear or were they just uh, racist?
2: Same difference. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He was like, I'm not going up there so but if you could catch a gypsy cab downtown, you're like, we'd go shopping and sometimes we'd take me be down on fourteenth Street or thirty fourth street, you know, shopping in Macy's and you're just tired and you want to take a cab home, you're like <laughs> <laughs> they,
0: they wouldn't they wouldn't you, just, you couldn't hail one.
2: Right. I mean, I did a film part of an anthology series for HBO called Subway Stories, Tales of the Underground. And This is I was in
0: the late nineties.
2: Right. Oh, you know. So yeah. And I so I, I, I've done some <laughs>
0: research here, Julie. I'm not a complete idiot.
2: So anyway, I was editing Midtown um, Manhattan, and I had to I had to leave and catch a plane. I was down there for an hour, you know, around 34th Street. I couldn't not a cab wouldn't stop for me, so I had to call upstairs to get. My editor to ask her assistant to come downstairs. She was white, and and get a cab for me. And she, the girl came downstairs, and went like this. Great. Yeah. There was like three
0: of them already. <laughs> yeah, and
2: it was like. <laughs> but at the same time, people. She would say, "Oh, there's no problem. They stopped. You know. She even she. It. It <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't dawn. Or, cried I mean, wolf, it just, and
0: then the yeah.
2: Yeah, it's just like no, they won't stop. So. Yeah.
0: It's different times different times yeah.
2: uber <laughs> Lyft. Well, I,
0: I can't believe we're endorsing uber and i know but at le,
2: but at least they
0: right i mean will, will come they, will the, the, some of the drivers are probably still racist but you it yeah. doesn't really matter anyway <laughs> right it's they all have about to, the money they and have so to drive and you.
2: then they arrive and it's like oops, you know but whatever
0: what do you remember about that cinematography course when you're 18 19 trying to like figure out what you want to do with your life
2: I remember um, the first film screening we had there, and it was um, Eisenstein's The Battleship Potemkin, a Russian black and white film, silent, with subtitles. And, you know, the lights dim, and we're sitting there, and then it comes on, and we're watching this, and we're these high school students, you know. Yeah. And we're like... Did you take a nap? No, we're like... Why does this film, why do I have to read this film, <laughs> you know? And, um, and you know, we, you know, acting all smart-alecky and all of that. But within 10 minutes, we were captured by the cinematography, the drama, the foreignness of it that was in so engaging, mm. the period, you know, the Russian Revolution stuff, and, uh, from that point on, I remember distinctly, I fell in love with foreign films. It was Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin.
0: And you were 18? Yeah. So what came next? You went to college.
2: So, of course, so after running around with a Bolex, you know, spring-driven, wind-up 16-millimeter camera, shooting Newsreels, can we call them? In <laughs> all know, of can the streets, yeah, streets of all nothing was ever finished, so it was like newsreels, not documentaries, for real. Uh, for like two years, um, when I uh, went to college at CCNY, they had a um, a program there. They started. Up, I was majoring in psychology, I thought I was, and then they had a program that came about called the David Picker Film Institute. And uh, I applied for that and got into it. And uh, I was officially on the road to being a major in film, which my family was like, "Uh, so what is this again? (laughs) Majoring in film? They were confused. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you just, you know, like major in education and something like that or history. And, you know, you teach and then you could keep doing that little film thing, you know.
0: So they didn't entirely buy the idea that you were going to make movies?
2: No, because there was no um, precedent. There was no, who was that going to be like? This was, you know, before Spike, before everything. like. Right. You know, of course, there were filmmakers that I knew at the time, like St. Clair Bourne and... And uh, Kathleen Collins and all, but they didn't know them because they only know them if they opened up the newspaper and could read something or see something on television. Mm. There was no Ava DuVernay.
0: <laughs> How did you know about Kathleen Collins?
2: Met her while I was doing some production assistant work for Saint Clairborn's uh, company called Chamba Productions.
0: Mm. So, is this is this? Were you doing production work when you were in school?
2: Yeah, work study. Mm. They would assign me to. Um, there was the Film Center down on I think it's Ninth Avenue, or the Film Building. Chamba Productions was in there, and Kathleen Collins was editing for them. She had just come from uh, she she got a film degree in 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 France at the, at the Sorbonne, and you know she was she was an incredible person. She was you know like a black hippie uh, who could edit and had and had children. Right, <laughs> she was you Nina know, and. Um... Yeah.
0: Another child. Yeah. yeah. What do you remember about her?
2: I remember that she was uh, extremely kind, friendly, and I used to hold some of the, uh, maybe Nina, (laughs) while she was editing. You know, walk around the the editing room holding her. And uh, I remember her being a vegan. And...
0: Vegan before people became vegans to become vegans. Yeah,
2: and I remember going to the store for them and buying honey for their tea. And I was saying, "Why would you put honey in your tea?" (laughs) And so it was a whole new world for me. Like
0: this woman, vegetarianism. She's making movies. She put honey in her tea.
2: Yeah, and uh, she spoke fluid French. She had children. She had everything, and she was cool like a hippie. <laughs> so I was like, "Wow!"
0: So she was someone that you were looking up to.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: But it didn't seem at the time that like the mainstream audience knew about her, or, yeah. or really any person of color making movies at that time.
2: Maybe Bill Greaves or some other or um, Gordon Parks. They know right. about that, or and um,
0: though the the Gordon Parks fascination, I think, initially seemed to stem from his photography work. Absolutely,
2: yeah.
0: And that he was making movies seemed to be like, oh, this is fascinating that he's mm-hmm. doing this,
2: right? And then there was Melvin Van Peebles who did Sweet Sweetback, and that was X rated at the time, so we had to sneak in to see it. Mm. Uh, I just remember definitely wanting to see it because the Black Panther newspaper at the time it dedicated an entire edition to their news- of their newspaper to Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. So it was a must-see film. Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: You know, we did an interview um, back in Toronto a couple of years ago. It was very brief, so it's okay if you don't remember it. And you mentioned to me that you feel that you and your body is a little bit of an introvert. And I wanted to know at that time when you're in college and you're trying to figure out, okay, I want to make movies, but how do I make movies? And you're with people who are making movies. Did you feel your introversion?
2: Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't even tell people what I wanted to make a film about because... um and I wasn't thinking my own thoughts at the time. I was thinking, I will make a film about this because this is, you know, for the people. And I will make a film about that because then... I wasn't really thinking about what I wanted to do. Women's oral narratives. Mm. Films that heal. Films that inspire. Because that's not what people were talking about at the time. And I was working within the confines of other people's ideologies and not my own.
0: Do you think that was because you hadn't figured out your own?
2: Partially, and partially because I was such an introvert, yeah.
0: Where do you think that introversion comes from? Is that a childhood thing? Um,
2: yeah, I think I've always kind of been like that.
0: But you were outside and you were playing basketball and chewing gum and you seemed to be, like, out excited. And it was their sister who was the one that was upstairs.
2: I know, but um, but I used to hide who I really was to, you know, trying to fit in, you know, that I, I didn't. The fact that I think I was taken, drawn into foreign films, I couldn't really express that to people. I still had to pretend like I was not liking them, that I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, everyone else was bored, you know. Really? But um, But the truth of the matter was that it was like, it was like a bomb in Gilad. It was like an elixir watching foreign films. Mm. You and you know? felt
0: that you, and you didn't feel comfortable sharing that with people.
2: No, not at the time.
0: Because you think they judge you.
2: Yeah yeah I wanted to make cool films documentary films, yeah. you know about you know, like what Vietnam or something yeah you, know, like, you know cool films
0: the way you say cool films is so clearly uh, <laughs> you're not you're not disguising your contempt for that kind of stuff.
2: I was young. that was a good face you just made. Yeah, uh, I wish people could see that I was young, you know, trying to fit in is a is a powerful thing, you mm.
0: know, yes, you mentioned this also in in our interview is that you felt that you weren't great at fitting in Mm -hmm. and that um i I don't want to repeat the whole interview to you but one thing you mentioned that has stuck with me uh, in the last couple of years is i've also tried to make a movie and and trying to live my life in los angeles which is strange um you rolled your eyes at that (laughs) Did you roll your eyes at me making a movie or because of Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Okay. <laughs> How do
2: you be yourself in Los Angeles? Hard. <laughs> yeah.
0: something you said was that you wish that you were better at going out and um, meeting people and talking to people and feeling connected with another random human being. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that way back then as well?
2: Yeah, and I feel that way now. I was just thinking about that this morning when I was in the (laughs) shower. That, you know, here at the, the, uh, no, at the festival, um, you know, like yesterday and last night, people were all like pitching their ideas and showing pictures and stuff. And it was like, wow, I I could never really do that like that because I know that pitching an idea kind of at a public event doesn't work.
0: That sounds awful.
2: And um,
0: They were pitching them to you?
2: To me, to to everyone around, you know, it was just. I just i i don't pitch well.
0: You mean you don't? Um.
2: I could hand you a wonderful script or a proposal and everything, but I don't.
0: You don't want to sell it.
2: Selling is very difficult right. for me. But
0: that, what what you're describing, that behavior of, of going to a public, place and and begging essentially, people to. Listen to you. I mean, Listen, it don't Listen, understand, it, it,
2: appreciate, and be drawn into your passion. But that,
0: I don't know if that's an honest way of doing it. That almost feels like prostitution
2: in some yeah, way. Yeah, that, that's that elevator pitch mentality, which I don't, I think people took that idea literally when they mean an elevator pitch they mean that something that's short and sweet not that you actually will literally every time you get into an elevator with someone they start telling
0: people i i hate i hate
2: it's like it doesn't work it's It's my biggest
0: nightmare is is anyone ever pitching me something when i like am out with friends i I don't want to hear their pitch don't want to hear it don't i've heard i've
2: heard a number of pitches since i've been here and it's just like at this festival, if, yeah, and so and this is like, a great festival. This is a great festival, and this is from, you know, emerging filmmakers, or, and it's just like, if you knew my background and if you knew how difficult it has been for me to, to get financing, you would probably do better by pitching to someone else. Uh, you know, it was like, you know, right. I want to, get but into I think that. they pitch, 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 pitch to every person to they come. Regardless
0: yeah. of who that person is. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, look, they've taken away um, the personality and the distinct qualities that make someone someone. And everyone is just a potential block. It's like this block. act of
2: desperation. It's just like. Right. Oh. So in
0: 1975, you make four women. Did you pitch that to someone at a party?
2: <laughs> no. Um, I just, that's something I wanted to to make when I was at the Studio Museum of Harlem, but I could not because it wasn't seen as being relevant enough or politically relevant enough. It's just, it was a dance film, mm. a choreo poem. It's like, um, and so, you know, when you present your ideas to the class, to the group, they just like look at you and like, what the <laughs> I was like, get out of here. <laughs>
0: Didn't they like the Nina Simone song?
2: I was, one of two females in the class. So it was, <laughs> yeah, they like Nina Simone, but they didn't want to see any dance film with um, a, a woman. <laughs> no.
0: What do they want to see from you?
2: Nothing, really. They wanted to do there for the male films, you know, like, you know, a brother's knocking on the door selling Black Panther newspapers. He, you know, gets arrested by the pigs, you know. <laughs> they wanted some hardcore drama, you know. I don't want to see of that. Of the time. Who wants to see that? I've read a book about that. Yeah. And so it was, and none of those people are filmmakers now. Ah. None of no. Look, look at that. Yeah. So it's um, a lesson learned. You have to um uh, i mean it, to to work in this field to be an artist, you have to have your own thoughts and you you have to pursue your own dreams and and try to work out your own artistic ideas uh separate from someone else's opinion I mm. you know, so uh
0: were people dismissive of you early on, of course,
2: yeah. You know, even as far as uh, graduate school at UCLA, I remember my graduate advisor telling me that my ideas were chaotic. No, that my films were chaotic for women in particular.
0: Chaotic for women in particular?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: He said it was chaotic. What
0: what does that mean? I don't know what that sentence means.
2: It means that I had too many cuts.
0: (laughs) For women in particular?
2: Yeah, I had too many edits.
0: Does he mean... For women viewers, like people. no,
2: for women, the film that I did, the, Dan, the oh, dance, the Nina Simone dance, for women.
0: Oh, that yeah. movie in particular. Yes. Oh, okay. Four he said it was. He said it was chaotic. It was chaotic. Yeah, I don't know if it was chaotic. It felt conscious. The decisions seemed uh, ones that you were making.
2: I thought so too, <laughs> but um, so I, I, you know, and illusions, I did that at UCLA also, and that was um, like. Eh. Um, So I was not encouraged necessarily, but at that point, by the time I was in graduate school, I did not need the encouragement of my professors or even my peers. I didn't need their encouragement. I just needed their help in making the film and I would help them make their films and that's fine. Mm. Um,
0: Because you had the confidence in yourself that you could do it.
2: Absolutely. Mm. And as everyone is a critic, they could be terribly critical of um, of anything that I was doing, any and everything that I was doing, uh, because a lot of filmmakers think that they have to do agitprop in order to be re- at the time in order to be relevant. Mm. So, yeah.
0: putting a pause on the conversation for a second. uh, I always hate doing the sort of middle of the episode interstitial messages for people listening. But we recently marked two years of doing this podcast. And uh, I realized the date kind of came and went. And we didn't actually celebrate much of anything. I don't even think I talked about it on the show that marked two years of doing it. I don't even know how we've been doing it for two years you can see why i'm confused um the point is uh in order for the show to continue to keep growing and move forward and to exist for another two years and more after that uh we need more people to listen to the podcast and so quite simply if you like this show if the show means anything to you on a week-to-week basis or even if you just listen once in a while uh Share the show with a friend. Share your enthusiasm for it online. Share it anywhere. If you don't want to publicly pronounce your love for this show because you think it's too strange of a podcast and people may judge you, um, you could just leave us a review on iTunes or just click those stars. I think the star clicking helps. Anything you can do would mean a lot to me and Dylan and Valerie and Krishna and all the good people that make this podcast possible. Anyway, that's pretty much it. If you'd like to write me an email, uh, please feel free to do so at talkeasypod at gmail.com. We've received some really lovely notes in the past couple of months, and uh, I'm happy to read and respond to as many as we get. Now, back to Julie. You know, it's fascinating because I think a lot of people... At that age, you're in your mid-twenties at this point, Mm -hmm. end of your twenties, and you're making these short films. Not only are there not a lot of women of color making movies at this time, but to make a movie at that age where you're still forming ideas about yourself and and what you believe and, and how you believe in things, to do as much as you did at that age and at that time is pretty impressive i mean it's a feat that i don't think a lot of people even in 2018 people your age can do or or do as often and as uh, consistently as you did
2: hmm, interesting i always felt that i hadn't done enough it was like i need more time i need I need more time uh-uh.
0: <laughs> so what? maybe my reading is wrong
2: i don't know um I like you reading, <laughs> but it's, I, I always felt that I needed to do more, you know. You I wanted like to do, do more. You didn't do enough. I felt I didn't do enough, yeah. I did The Four Women, Diary of an African Nun, which has now been, that's a Super 8 film. It's been blown up to 35 millimeter. I cracked up when the UCLA archives told me that they had done that. I was just tickled. It was like, that's Super 8. <laughs> you can't blow it up that far. But they did, and they did a great job.
0: The time after um, Illusions, I'm looking at this now, 1982 is when that happened. Um, Daughters of the Dust was 1991. Mm. There is a uh, almost a decade in between.
2: Mm-hmm. So I was working on music videos or what? Not between, go back again.
0: 1982 and 1991.
2: Oh, I was working on movies. Uh, some of them weren't my own. Mm-hmm. I was working on Charles Burnett's movies, two of them. Um, we actually shot Daughters of the Dust in 1989. It took that long to edit. So, and before we went into the main shooting, it's I think in 1988, I did a 10 minute trailer of. Of daughters. And then mm-hmm. I went around and tried to raise more money. And that's when we got money from Women Make Movies. They helped us out. And Deborah Zimmerman, because I had films that she was already distributing. And then we got money from um, Lindsay Law at American Playhouse. And then we shot in 89. So, all during that period, I don't remember a year really passing, maybe two at the most, where I wasn't working on a film some kind of way. Mm. You know what I mean. So it looks like they're large blocks of emptiness, but right. actually it's like really, <laughs> you know.
0: Was raising money difficult?
2: Yes, daughters was a screenplay that I I went from CPB, PBS, ZDF in Germany, uh, Channel Four in England, every major and mini-major in in Los Angeles. This is in
0: 1998. I mean, sorry, this is in 1988.
2: Yes, because Warner Brothers, Paramount, everyone wanted to know how I was able to do Illusions, you know, a short film, in such a short period of time and with the, you know, $10,000 budget. And so they would have me up there to, you know, pitch ideas to them about what I wanted to do. And every single one of them passed, passed, passed on any idea that I had. And that's pretty much been... um,
0: But they called you in there. Yes. And you would go in there and you would pitch. Yeah. And then they'd be like, well, thank you very much. You can leave now.
2: Exactly. Back then, they used to send letters, passing letters. Nowadays, they just don't respond to you anymore. But I still have all those letters. You kept them? Yeah. Did you frame them. them? No, I have them in my uh, I have them in storage, but um, oh, that's great. they even list them. Um, this one, you know, daughters of the dust. This and that. Blah, 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 blah. It's like uh, you should make a
0: sort of a flip book <laughs> of all the rejection <laughs> letters. Put that. You know, I'm sure uh, Lachmo would take that for you. Oh really? Oh my God, that'd be. A, I have this idea. No, wait, Now I'm pitching. But this is not <laughs> a film. This is an idea I came up with with a friend. I think I would love to create this this exhibit. That is, uh, rejection letters from people who have made great pieces of art.
2: I even have a script that has handwritten on it from someone from CPB saying, this is ridiculous. (laughs) 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 About the first scene in Daughters of the Dust. This is ridiculous. I never got to shoot that first scene. It was about the the storm raging inside of Eula Pazant's womb. How could that be ridiculous? But then years later, I saw that, not that he copied it at all. Uh, baby boy opens inside of um, a ah, womb. Ah, I didn't know that. I so it's that. like, why Why is that ridiculous? And how, just because you as an executive development person can't visualize it, how could you, write, <laughs> this is ridiculous.
0: Were, were the, the criticisms launched against you based more in gender than race?
2: Uh, yeah, because she was black too. Yeah. So it's, it's still mostly gender, I think.
0: Mm. I've heard you say this before where you, where you constantly are pointing to gender Mm -hmm. rather than race.
2: Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's that, um, it's, I think it's, it's still hard for a lot of people to believe and want to support, uh, female filmmakers, um, as much as they do male filmmakers.
0: But plenty of white female filmmakers were getting their movies made in the Mm -hmm. 90s, and not a whole bunch, but there were still some. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it feel a little bit more racial in in their rejection? I
2: think it's both. I think it's both things happening there. Mm -hmm. Because also in the 90s, I started visiting and pitching to black executives, black female executives at Columbia, Disney, all these places, and they they were equally dismissive.
0: Mm, they were? Yeah. What were those meetings like?
2: Um, I think they had to take the meeting with me. So they would, um, you know, like someone from above says, take this meeting with her so you could say that you met with her, you know. And um, they were usually pleasant, and I would, you know, pitch my idea. I remember one young lady telling me, "Well, your idea is not developed enough. You need to add more." And so I, by this time, I said, "Add more? Like what? Can you be more specific?" Well, no, you could. She didn't have any idea of what I needed to do to make it work. Mm. She just said I needed to make it work. And then another, um, Jonathan Demi, actually wanted to do a film with me after we did um, Subway Stories. And so he assigned me to his development person who just eventually said, I have never seen um, a story about African Americans like this. I don't know any African Americans like the people you have in your, your screenplay. And right. so I guess she was from Ohio. And so it was like, and She yeah, may not
0: know... Any African-American period. Right, and so she
2: put the gabash on it just like that. Uh-huh. So that was happening all across the board and, you know, everywhere I'd go and until as late as a year ago or two years ago, I went to, I'm not going to say the name of the place, but in New York they have film funds for women. And uh, I presented a number of things and they all said the same thing too, like oh uh no um well you know come back when you have something else
0: huh it's a lot of uh talk about something else what you're presenting is not enough for them exactly why why do you think you're getting this pushback or you you said you're even getting it now
2: we exactly um Because the stories that I write, um, you know, I have one story that's an encryption thriller, and then I have another one about the African-American women who served in World War II overseas, served overseas during World War II. Uh, All of these things are not something that they're thinking. I think they're thinking something more urban. You know, I I can't guess what's in their minds, what's in their heads, but... um, my ideas are just perhaps too different. Different. <laughs> uh, just, uh, it's not what they have in mind. Mm-hmm. It's not how they perceive or imagine black people to be, people of color to be. And so it's...
0: Your imaginings vary from their preconceived ideas. Of... Yeah,
2: preconceived ideas, yes. Because some of mine are historical facts and, you know, like look like the... The film, uh, the story, the screenplay about the World War II wax, you know, uh, often people will say to me, oh, I never heard about that, so I'll have to check. And it's just like, I, I've worked on this for seven years. I have photographs. <laughs> I've checked. <Yeah. laughs> you know, but they still to say things like, oh, I have to check. And uh, there was another, I pitched a story about the Harlem Renaissance, and a young lady said to me, oh, is it happening now? And I said, well, you know, there is a renaissance going on, but I'm talking about the one Who that happened that? in 1924. I can't tell you.
0: When when did that person say that? Give me the year.
2: About two years ago.
0: About two years ago. Mm-hmm. This Was this Lady White? Yeah. Yeah, of course she was white.
2: Is, is, it, is it happening now? <laughs> what is what do
0: you say to that? Do you laugh at that person?
2: I've learned not to laugh because no, that's, that's a show of, that's that's a a of arrogance. Um, I just said... I thought she was being, you know, encompassing all the wonderful things that are happening now in Harlem with arts and everything. So I said, you know, I said, in a way, yeah, it is happening now, but I'm, this one is about the one in 1924. You are
0: forgiving. You're being way too forgiving of this person. It's like,
2: whoa, Uh, a lot of the development execs, young development execs, they don't know history at all.
0: Right. And those are the people you're meeting with. Yeah. So the time after daughters of the dust. It can't it comes out in nineteen ninety one. Um
2: people keep saying a lot of people keep saying daughters of the dust was during slavery. You know it's nineteen oh two. It's the it's about the first generation of African Americans after slavery, but when people look at it and they see black people they say, Oh, it's a slave it's,
0: Are you tired of um people being uh dismissive and also, not careful with your work.
2: Um, certainly. Um, but I think that um, I think it all began uh, many, many years ago with the dumbing down of America, making things easy. What's going to do it? Yeah.
0: When did that happen?
2: Oh, uh, about maybe fifteen years ago, when this whole dumbing, making things easy, making television shows easy, making dialogue easy, making um everything just more palatable, just, it's the dumbing down.
0: So after 91, the movie comes out, and you're pitching movies out into the world again. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this is a little before the dumbing down culture, but it's close to it. It's adjacent to the dumbing down time you're Well, interestingly
2: enough, I guess dumbing down had already begun because some people told me with Daughters of the Dust that that's not a real um, African-American story
0: real uh and that they don't know about exactly it? Yeah.
2: yeah yeah so it was like okay
0: <laughs> how do you not scream at these people when they say that
2: i'm not gonna rage 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 do not go gently into that night raging raging it's like hmm uh i have other things to think about i have other things to think about um mm. uh, and, and just being here at this festival, I was thinking, what if I presented something or uh, wrote a story like Interstellar? <laughs> can you even see that? No. no, I can't. Yeah. It's preconceived notions about people of color are forcing us into, um, into these narrow alleys of where we can exist and where we can create art, where our art can exist, rather than it should be more expansive
0: and in the late 90s and early 2000s people were uninterested in that expansive categorization
2: no but, you know, they no they i think they were seeing us as this monolith and you know it's like if you weren't doing an urban drama with guns <laughs> that um then you weren't saying anything
0: mm. And those were the meetings then. Yeah. Would they say it in such uh, clear terms like that, obvious terms? Or was it, no. was it more uh, oh. disguised as like, they they would they would code it in other language. But they would code they
2: it in other language, like, wow, you really have an imagination. Um, I've never heard about anything like that. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it happens. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's done, you know.
0: I, I, you know, I guess my central question, the question I've been putting off a little bit, is that in this time when you're pitching a whole bunch and things aren't going well and the people aren't receptive uh-huh. and they're not listening, how do you not say to yourself one morning, you know what, fuck this, i I don't want, I don't what? want to, I don't want to do this anymore.
2: The thing is this. I could understand why you would ask that. But the thing is this, I didn't become a filmmaker to satisfy their needs. I became a filmmaker to satisfy my needs, my needs to see um, a woman of color who's an encryption specialist.
0: Uh, This is also a quote from you in our interview two years ago. I didn't become a filmmaker seeking approval from outside sources. I became a filmmaker because I love making movies and I love watching movies and sharing movies with friends. It was just a thing that happened organically.
2: Well, there it is. (laughs) I'm glad I'm being consistent at least. I mean, because I'm always so surprised when people are saying like, oh, well, don't you uh, get discouraged? Maybe momentarily, but it's like I'm not going to change the direction of my thought processes uh, or my uh, my ideas how they're going to play out because someone else can't see it. You know, it's like I'll just go write a book, <laughs> then um mm. and I'll I'll do something else. I mean, I've been doing large-scale video projections of film. Right. I've been doing Uh, All kinds of things. I've been making movies for museums like the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center or the Philadelphia Art Museum. I'll just go make something else and just lay it for you people for a while until I recuperate from that nonsense. (laughs) Um, I remember one silly thing that was really said to me once when I was pitching my encryption thriller. Uh, They said, don't you think it'll confuse black people? See, they're trying to be helpful. (laughs) Don't you think?
0: That's a good note.
2: Don't you think it will confuse black people? It's like, oh, uh, I don't think so. (laughs) We created jazz (laughs) with sixteenth notes. No, no, I don't think so. Um, and I just think, gosh, is the greater world like this? They really don't understand us. I mean, when I was working on a film and. uh, that, that I didn't even write, and um, one of the characters says to uh, another one, well, even Einstein says, you know, Scottsboro Boys should be set free. That line had to be cut out of the film because the producers felt that the black audience wouldn't know, or no, any audience wouldn't know who Einstein was because he was too old. <laughs> it was like. And then it happened again with another film when um, one I didn't write it I was just directing it for a movie for television and uh, one character says to another Well you look like uh, you should be in a Charlie Chaplin film
0: Is this the, the Rosa Parks story?
2: Rosa Parks was the first one. <laughs> this one is love Song, The next one, and so the line about Charlie Chaplin had to be cut because it didn't. They didn't want to confuse the audience. It was like mm. who. <laughs> who are you people? <laughs> you know what I mean? Did
0: you ever ask that question?
2: Of course. Of course. And um, with the first one, um, one um, producer said to the editor, well, do you know who, um, how do you know the difference between Einstein and, let's say, Benjamin Franklin? And so I jumped back with, because they're wearing different costumes. <sighs> <laughs> you know and they they didn't even flinch they didn't even get it it was just like
0: oh man what <laughs> i this is this is going to be a probably stupid question to ask but i need to ask it because you've just listed a whole bunch of stories that are the um,
2: dumbing down of america
0: the dumbing down of america they are funny and they're tragic and i want to ask you in your heart does it feel like it is getting it all better.
2: I think it goes in waves, <laughs> in a Morpheus loop. It gets better and then it gets worse. It gets better, you know, like a, a frequency wave, like a sound wave or a color wave. Or a, just when you think it's getting better, it's <laughs> like, oh my God, <laughs> mm. who am I dealing with? So it all depends on um, who your producers are and, and where they're coming from. And do, are they trying to be... A curator of culture, right? I don't want to be that. I don't. I. I allow people to ebb and flow, the way they feel they ought to. And if someone does not know who Einstein is, let them Google it. Hey, who's Einstein? Let's <laughs> Google. Oh, it's him. Oh. It's an easy
0: thing to Google. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. While you're making these films in the late '90s and early 2000s, you were Uh, married to your DP on Daughters of the Dust, correct? Yes. I want to make sure I don't fuck up these facts.
2: (laughs) I was married. We were married long before then, too. Yes, yes.
0: And you had uh, two kids together? We have one child. One child together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was it at all a challenge to balance having a kid and being married and trying to make movies?
2: Absolutely. It's rough um, being a filmmaker and... um, so, uh, so it didn't work out. We were married for some time, you know, we were together for about eight years, and then we we separated and uh, went our ways separate ways and I'm thriving, and he's thriving. I mean his uh was
0: the separation
2: tough No, <laughs> because I think, as artists, you know, it's just like you don't want distractions, you know, and sometimes you just outgrow one another, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and time goes on it doesn't mean that you're gonna be angry or whatever we don't have that kind of relationship so we you know we we talk and tweet and you know all the time and you guys now are tweeting yeah texting and tweeting yeah, you you know, tweet whatever. together tweet a, i mean yeah we have a child who's grown we have a grandchild I know, together just
0: tweeting together just sounds if my parents were you know my parents are split up and if they were tweeting at each other i don't know what i think i'd have to, i'd have to i'd have to have a talk with them <laughs> Maybe you know now I'm sounding like I'm like the old man <laughs> the
2: old you yeah. Don't man. use Twitter.
0: I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean is but it's funny, I've never heard uh, anyone
2: Yeah, he sent me a tweet recently that he says, Have you seen the two and I was like And now I mean he's um you know he's Arthur Jayfer and he's doing really well as all I mean he's like the hardest hottest thing in the art world right now. Yes,
0: I, I I've I've seen a lot of his work. <laughs> so, yeah. I just, uh, in my time of talking to people about divorce, as someone who comes from a family of many, many divorces,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone uh, casually describe it as, oh, it's totally fine, as you just did. I think that's the most
2: uh, gentle description. I think we were were, were friends first, and we're friends now, best friends. I mean... um,
0: What about companionship? Do, Do you miss that? I,
2: can, I have companionship, and he has companionship. When a relationship is it's not working, you can't really force it. You know, I know when we first separated, people said, oh, it broke their hearts, You because know, they have this idealistic
0: right. image. Oh, of it broke the companions- other people's hearts.
2: Yeah, it broke other people's hearts, and we're going like this. God, thank God. <laughs> 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 we were like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, just um, too much of everything.
0: So you feel like you work better alone?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we each have our own ideas of how we see the world differently. So, um, yeah, I'm just very grateful that um, we work together on Daughters and Praise House and, I don't know, and some other things. But um, we work together. We work better apart. You know, it doesn't mean that I won't. You know, call him up and say, "Hey, I have an idea. I would run an idea by him and stuff." You know, yeah.
0: Right. In the time after the Rosa Parks story, and then um, Brothers of the Borderland, the short from two thousand four, there is um, once again another gap.
2: A gap. I uh,
0: in the IMDb, whatever, uh-huh. the, whatever the hell that means.
2: I don't put my music videos or commercials. Right
0: yeah so in that twelve years, you're still trying to pitch your feature films, uh-huh. and I know you have said, Um, you're not making movies for validation, you're not making movies for other people. I understand this
2: uh-huh.
0: my question i guess is it's not rooted in the validation of others or them validating your talent because the question is not whether you're talented. we know you're talented M- My question is. When it comes to being discouraged, you know, filmmaking does often require another party, often a third party, saying, Yes, you can make it. It is not like playing basketball where you can go outside and play basketball. Yes, you can have a camera and yes, you can film people, but you know what I mean. To get actors and to get. Right. It's not like
2: painting a picture, like picking up a canvas and making a painting. You're not going on a walk. Mm -hmm.
0: So at, at any point, Are you not at all, at least a little bit frustrated with the fact that the thing you are good at, the thing you and I can agree on, that you know how to do well, was a thing that many people said, no, I don't think so.
2: So I'm more interested in, that That doesn't discourage me, I'm more interested in the psychology of why. They would say no. Exactly. How does this come about? What am I doing? What am I evoking? What am I probing into that makes them pull away? Repel. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Did you figure out an answer?
2: No. I don't have an answer yet.
0: Have you done some probing?
2: Of course. I think everything I write is probing, <laughs> you know? So, but I, um, but I'm not that person—that psychologist or, a, or a psychiatrist or that social scientist. That that has to be let. That history will have to come up with the reasons why.
0: Mm. You know, I'm trying to formulate my own reasons for you, mm-hmm. and I don't really have an answer. I don't know you well it's, enough.
2: It's right. It's not that. I think it's not simple. It's not simple. It's not. Is it because I'm nearly six feet tall? Is it, it what? I, it, I, I don't know. You don't are know. tall. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But is it, I think that works in your favor. I mean, aren't, aren't
2: uh, No, because people say, oh. They're, they're, <laughs> I, they're scared. Yeah. So um, I don't know. And I don't want to second guess because it's, it's an important discovery to be unpacked. Mm. You know? So uh, what am I saying when, in my films that um, repel finances. Even though I have a huge fan base, not just in this country, but in Asia and Europe, I have... Whatever I make, there's a huge reaction to it, and and people want to see it. Women want to see it, especially men too. So why not... It's the they not they would not really be taking a chance. It's not a risky thing. Mm.
0: I mean, the reason uh, has yet to be discovered, I guess. True. But uh, it has not stopped you or deterred you. It seems. No. Can I ask you then? Forget about all that about about the the why. And maybe the question then is about one's constitution. Because I think a lot of people in your situation that you're in now, and that you have been in really since Daughters of the Dust, I think most filmmakers would have stopped. They would have folded.
2: That's, I guess it goes back to my basic training and discovering of the wonder of film. It's a joyous thing to create worlds and that's you know like the worlds like when you're gaming or something it's a one plus i'm too damn old to become a nurse so what am i going to do <laughs> you know it's like i don't know uh, maybe i'm just so stubborn hmm. but um it's not like anyone understood when i was trying to do four women or the show, which is like 10 minutes or illusions or they people weren't saying oh this is a great idea you know uh, or I remember someone telling me, oh, illusions, oh, that's been done before. That's just a simple office confusion. <laughs> I mean, because everyone runs ideas through their own personal filter. And, uh, if it, and if it's meaningless to them, they're just like, it's nothing, but I did it anyway. And they said, oh, you shouldn't even call it illusions. That's too on the nose. It's like, yeah, there's one word and it translates into various languages. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I did. Um,
0: As an introvert, do you think you're more comfortable with fictional
2: worlds than the real one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoy writing. I enjoy being in that world. I remember once, <laughs> oh, this is really going to sound crazy, Right. (laughs) I was once deep in, you know, in the middle of my second novel, too. I was writing and my daughter was in high school, you know, Mr. Cho's class, you know. And she came in, you know, into my office and she said, Mommy, something like that. And I turned and looked at her and she said I gave her the strangest look. And the thing was, it was like for a brief instant.
0: So, By the way, when you say Mr. Cho, we should explain (laughs) that Julie's daughter had John Cho, actor John Cho, as her English teacher. Sorry, just go on for your story. Okay. People just should know for reference.
2: Yeah, that Mr. Cho. Uh, Which is, I can't
0: believe you call him that. It's just funny.
2: Because when I used to sit across from his desk, when I would go up for parent teacher, he, he was Mr. Cho. So whenever <laughs> I see him on television now, he's still Mr. Cho. <laughs> or in theater. Um, so I, I, it's like for a brief instant, I didn't recognize her because she wasn't a character. <laughs> the thing I was writing It's like, who are you? Oh. And she said I did that when I was working on a film in um, Montreal, and she was visiting the set one day. And I was working with the actors, and she walked up to me to say something like she was leaving, and I looked at her, she said I gave her that same look. And it was true. She recognized that.
0: <laughs> you were so enveloped mm-hmm. that you couldn't
2: it was like you
0: you, even your own daughter you got a brief second
2: it was like what 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 part are you playing what are you an extra like oh my child
0: (laughs) are you an extra (laughs) i'm writing a script here okay i don't know who you are yeah you should have assigned her a role
2: i know now i will always assign her a role so when she knocks on the office door and walks in i'll know who she is (laughs) it sounds so crazy but it's like we're so close that she actually recognized that in the way I looked at her. She right. was like, You don't know what I was like. I How think it I sounds
0: crazy, but don't you have to be a little bit crazy to decide to make movies?
2: Absolutely. You have to be a little bit defiant. And I think I am defiant in my own quiet little introverted way. Mm. That every time someone says, Oh, I don't, un- you can't make that, then something inside me says, Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> and you'll see, you know.
0: Quietly Defiant.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That could be um, the title of your biography. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I hope I'm still alive. I it's not what it was not one of those like on a tombstone. Defiant.
0: Quietly Defiant. Yeah. And then she was gone.
2: Yeah. So poof. Yeah.
0: Um, that actually brings me to the last thing I do want to ask you. Okay. Which is you are 68.
2: Actually, I haven't had a birthday yet, so I'm sixty-seven.
0: <laughs> no. Sam is an idiot. <laughs> you're Not gonna make the same tried. difference. You are sixty-seven, and
2: I will be in October. You'll be sixty-eight. Uh, yes.
0: Thank you for correcting me, Julie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get you know. Get even, the facts. E- even a fraction when in you're this, when you're at this age, even a anything, fraction. You know what? <laughs> it's just like
0: so. You're forty-five, and you know, um. You know what? We're about the truth on this show. Okay. We want to get, you know, in today's day and age, we got to get the facts right.
2: I know, but whenever we, even I say it out loud, then when I get it, I start, don't make me feel 68. <laughs> I am 68, but don't make me feel it.
0: <laughs> you don't feel 68. I, I don't feel it. You feel youthful to me.
2: I I do feel youthful. So, uh, but I want to be honest. That's what I am. You know what?
0: 67.
2: Yeah. In a few months, I'll be 60.
0: <laughs> this is like a, a comedy routine we're doing here.
2: I know. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Hold back, time. 67. Oh, 68. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: you're 67 now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Moving forward with the remaining years you have, I think you got, uh, what, 30, 40 years left? Something like that. Give
2: or take a give, month.
0: <laughs> give or take a month. It's either a month, 30 years, or 40 years. Give or take. Nowhere in between. I want to know, um, what do you want for the rest of your life? What do you want to do with the rest of the days that you have?
2: I want to produce films because I know I'm, at a certain point I'm going to be too old to be out there on the field trying to direct something. So I want to produce I want to produce, I want to discover um, other young introverts who are creative and, and they need someone to help shepherd them along, to quarterback for them, to get them through and past these gatekeepers who, um, who are only looking for people to uh, tell stories that they've already told before, these retreaded stories. And... Um, because there's a whole generation, there's a whole bunch of us that just like to be surprised, to be confused, and to come out the other side of, a, of that confusion, feeling like they've taken a long journey. Like the other night, we were watching Interstellar, and some people say, oh, it's so complicated. It's like, well, that's what makes it wonderful. <laughs> Why would you want to see something that doesn't challenge you? You could just watch television, you know, go watch a sitcom, Mm. But you want to see, you know, you you trust Christopher Nolan's gonna challenge you, and 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 take you places that uh, that you hadn't even thought of going to before, and make you wonder, uh, just make you wonder. I think it's healthy to be to wake up in the morning and wonder.
0: Well, Julie, um, I hope you keep challenging us for many years to come, and. Uh... I'll work on the wonder part. I'm not great at that yet, (laughs) but I'm going to work on it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: And thank you very much for having me. Was this okay? It's okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Special thanks this week to Chaz Ebert, Nate Cohen, and the rest of the team at EbertFest. This was the other conversation I recorded down in Champaign last week during the wonderful film festival. And uh, they were wonderful hosts to us in setting up this interview and a place to do it. Without them, I don't think it could have been possible. If you'd like to find out more about Julie Dash, you can visit her website at juliedash.tv.com. You can also learn more about her at our show notes, which is at www.talkeasypod.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at Talk Easy Pod. This was another episode with the director. We've actually had three episodes in a row with directors. We will take a, a directorial break moving forward for a couple weeks. But uh, if you enjoyed this episode with Julie, you'll probably enjoy our episode with Koganata from last week, Chloe Zhao the week before that, We've had on a lot of filmmakers from Sean Baker to Miguel Arteta to Kelly Reitgart. You can find all of those on our website, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're probably there. As always, our show is executive produced by David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer. And the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy.
1: Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in yours. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I gonna find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques. With more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians, and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out, and then it's just thirty dollars per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to Musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today.